0: it's tuesday it is 2 22 22 the 22nd of february of 2022 uh welcome to real talk jesperson here with you hoyles and brooks along this week jenny adams joining me in studio today which i'm excited about we're teeing up another edition of our group chat roundtable. it's been a while since we've had the, had the band together and uh we've got a lot to talk about if you were if you were uh Mapping it out, if you were sort of like being the, the Sarah Hoyles here, the editorial producer and providing the roadmap for where you thought we should take our conversation on federal, provincial, and maybe even municipal politics, what would you lead with on this Tuesday?
1: Obviously the Emergencies Act. That's and I'm in right. a I'm in a mood today. I'm in a bit of a bad mood. Oh, yes! Yeah, you forced me to put Twitter back on my phone what? in anticipation oh, of being wow. on the show. Don't, don't and so blame I was on it one. last night, I was on it this morning and now I'm just grumpy. And so obviously I think the Emergencies Act, there's things to talk about there.
0: You and I uh Correspond from time to time on matters of importance. And when you told me a while ago that you were pulling Twitter off your phone, I didn't actually believe you. You really did that? I
1: have. I've stuck my head in the sand at probably one of a terrible time to stick my head in the sand. But I think like most... Canadians, people all over the world. I'm at my capacity of things to be worried about, uh-huh. concerned about, and uh, at a certain point, I guess it's it's more responsible to to take a look at what's going around and actually make a stand for something and have an opinion.
0: Yeah, um, holy smokes! I just I just dropped in on our live chat for like ten seconds and I saw something that's just you know like life just gives you perspective checks. We've got we have positive reflections coming yeah. up later on today by Kubi Energy and there's a uh, there's an email from. Bonnie, And it is what a perspective check it is. It's amazing. But look, what about this? Like right now here, I, I see that uh, um, an audience member chimes in and uh, everyone's saying hi to each other this morning. Right. So it's the, the chat's getting bumped down really quick. But she said, my ex-husband died last week and I don't know what to feel wow you never know what somebody's walking with right what a what an amazing thing what a perspective check we're talking about whether or not the reason i bring this up i mean there's a lot of reasons too we're getting mm-hmm. back together and catching up after a long weekend but there's a lot of talk about canada being broken or canada being divided and we're hearing about it a lot from politicians mm-hmm. and i think to a certain degree we have some Y station polling we'll show later on today it, demonstrates that canadians are feeling that there is canadians are feeling angsty mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit divided but do you believe the nation is divided
1: i think we're being used all Ooh. of us by every level of government and this is what i want to talk about today when we get our friends on by politicians to divide us and i think mm-hmm. you know it's time we take a look around at what's actually going on look at you know all the twitter likes and the retweets and everything that we apparently care about yeah. as politicians are using us to get reelected to make a stand on things that obviously lots of this matters yeah. but also like look at the, the text that you just got like real life things are happening to real Canadians and um, anyway we'll have a bigger conversation when Harmon and Catherine get on here yeah if they're they're not too late but Rose
0: um, is wondering where is Sarah Hoyles Sarah Hoyles is working out of her home studio like she has been for the last what's it been I think Sam she's been hi, there for like four months now yeah. so yeah she, Sarah's good I just I'm
1: in the yeah. office next Jenny's door here. Jenny's, I, I just literally I'm on the other side Hoyles of the wall is here, so, and hi, Sarah. there's
0: video evidence that Sarah Hoyles is with us this morning doing a great job we got a lot of ground to cover let me remind you of course that a, a part of this uh, passage of the emergencies act there are financial implications uh including uh, no yeah sam you were bang on you were 100 bang on man trust your instincts you know what's up you nailed it uh, i was just talking to adam o'brien last night quickly ceo of bitcoin well and he's like here we go i said what's up he goes well I'll take a look at one of these things he says the custodial Crypto exchanges The ones that Kind of like Keep your money for you They tell you How much crypto you have But I shouldn't say money But you know They tell you How much you have But they're holding It's custodial They're impacted By this emergencies act Or at least potentially Mm -hmm. There's about a million angles We can talk about Cryptocurrency factors Into conversation About the emergencies act If you have questions about it You know where I'm going To tell you to go Go where I go When I have questions Bitcoin well You'll find them On the sponsors page On our website RyanJesperson.com
2: Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: So we call it the group chat roundtable This is a, a roundtable that has uh, manifested itself And even on different media platforms Basically it is what it is This is a group of people that uh, Throughout the course of a day And sometimes we take entire days or weeks off If we don't <laughs> want to talk to or hear from one another uh, We have a group chat That we keep the contents of it private and confidential But it's people with some political experience Some some savviness, I think People whose perspectives I appreciate And we chat about matters of politics and life And sometimes we go on the record And so Jenny Adams joining me here in the real time talk studio she's principal of a, of a do you say a boutique communications firm called the adams agency and uh
1: works yep
0: you do everything from you do you like throw big events
1: well, let's you not start Brian. with events Yeah, we uh, we but do a lot of reputation and crisis work We do a lot of public engagement work We do a lot of how you communicate with stakeholders And get people to understand what's going on And we do a lot of fun things as well Although I find that really fun And we're bringing in big names and talent And yeah. and kind of getting eyeballs and impressions on different things So kind I was going to say gap.
0: you're a crisis comms expert, right? We do
1: a lot of crisis like when work people are, We don't talk a lot about it because well, you do not want to know And I won't ask you about <laughs> it
0: There's a, I But you ask have you. my
1: phone number on speed dial, don't you? Well, yeah, well, I mean, you
0: You're the type of person that, like, is on someone's call list when they're in the shit, basically. So that's the Adams Agency. Crisis comms uh, and reputation and brand management. Fascinating perspective. Harmon Candola is joining us. You've seen Harmon on the show before uh, many times. Uh, A lawyer with SBLLP. My friend, it's great to see you again. He's been a candidate for the Progressive Conservatives provincially. He's been a city council candidate, ran a strong campaign, uh, a tough loss. Uh, Harmon, maybe we'll get into that. Who knows? uh, This past time that Edmontonians went to the polls, Uh, he works with the uh, World Seek Organization, of VP. There and of course Edmonton's anti-racism committee And then Catherine O'Neill our good pal Rounding out our conversation today of course Catherine uh, quite prominently doing just an incredible Job as the CEO of YWCA Edmonton also past president Of the progressive conservative what do you say PCAA Association of Alberta KO that was right right the the PC party Past president and of course a former journalist uh, Including a war correspondent with the Globe And Mail was last with us on our uh, unbelievable Remembrance Day uh, episode KO what an unbelievable conversation that was Good morning to the three of you the emergency act passed in the house of commons the liberals see it passed with the support of the ndp the conservatives say quite frankly it's a mistake they're not getting behind it Harmon, what do you think i mean the, the ottawa occupation has been kind of i don't know if you say dissipating or or bulldozed out by police but but does it make sense here
3: you know i i spent the last two weeks traveling um kind of across the middle east west africa and this occupation has been the number one thing that people ask me about it was kind of shocking but You know, Canada has definitely taken a hit uh, on the international level when it comes to its reputation and dealing with this occupation. And so, you know, the invocation of the Emergency Act, while I think may not have been unexpected, um, I think the failure of the government to articulate why the current apparatus has failed and why they need to actually use the Emergency Act is what really bothers a lot of people. I know from, you know, being from a minority community um, you know, we're very, very deeply concerned by the invocation um, and the lack of kind of justification of why the current machinery of the state failed, uh, and you know what we saw is a clear you know difference in terms of how um, you know police and enforcement have dealt with you know different types of um, you know uh, actions and, and protests. So you know, while I I, I understand that um, they wanted to use the emergency act, yeah, the need has dissipated. Um, absolutely, I, I think this is this is something now you know in search of a problem, and people are rightly concerned about overreach. They're rightly concerned about how this is going to be wielded. Um, obviously, there's some you know there's there's difficulty online of people using exaggeration and rumors to suggest that um, this has been used in in ways that it has not. Um, but that's what you open yourself up to when you give yourself the power to do, um, you know, to basically have state overreach. Yeah, there's going to be issues in communication. And I think this government has failed to communicate the need for this. And it's failed to really establish why it's, why the state has failed in, in dealing with the protests. So... You know, a lot of people are, are definitely concerned in the, in the World Sick Organization. We're concerned about the invocation of the Emergency Act, and we want to see it lifted as soon
0: as possible. Harman, in the context of of, of your role with the World Sick Organization, what specifically would the organization be concerned about here?
3: So I think one of the biggest things is that the potential for overreach, right? Um, and, you know, especially in the past where we've seen, you know, this protest versus previous protests by racialized minorities and vulnerable peoples is the clear difference and the deference that was paid to these protesters by police, you know, even where you saw clear threats, you know, the, the um, you know, we saw at the Coots border where you had, um, you know, uh, ammunition, weapons that were discovered, active threats, um, yet we still saw police officers um, engage in pleasantries with protesters. You know, there is a clear contrast in the way that this country has dealt with protesters. And there is worry that now the Emergency Act will be used um, in a manner against those racialized minorities in the future uh, when it comes to you know protests. And so that's the biggest concern. And And the World of Organization actually issued a press release last week, um, expressing our concern around these issues.
0: K.O., where do you land on, on the Emergencies Act? I know uh, some people are saying, uh, yeah, you know, Downtown Ottawa, there's some movement again. There's still a lot of fences and barriers up, obviously, a heavy police presence. Um, someone sent me a link today earlier that shows that some demonstrators have relocated to a, a, a field in Ontario, and they're like, sort of you know, gathering again. And there are rumors that there are other planned actions. The point being, some are suggesting this is far from over. The federal government doesn't yet have a handle on this. Uh, others are saying the Emergency Act passing now, kind of like at the wave has passed. What's going on? Where are you at?
4: You know, I, I, what Harman said, I echo a lot what he said as far as the fact that this is an extraordinary measure. And if you're going to take an action like this, you need to show your work. You need to build trust about why government has made such an extraordinary decision. And, I, and you know, it's the first time it's ever been used. And I hope it's the last time it's ever used in our lifetime because of the fact it gives government so many sweeping powers that uh, are, you know, quite frankly, make people quite nervous. And, you know, when you look at all these new bank people making allegations about banks you know having special powers and Going after donors to to the trucker convoy that had been unproven, Um, things like that make people rightfully nervous. And so I think we are, you know, they have dislodged that big part of the occupation. Yes, there's still a threat, but I think now is a time to go back to the the regular policing. That you know, in Toronto when they had a truck convoy came in, they were able to handle it because they were prepared, they were ready, and they had a strategy. Unfortunately, leading up to what happened in Ottawa. A lot of people failed along the way. Provincial governments, uh, policing forces, pr- pr- uh, municipal governments—it was just a complete colossal failure of leadership. We got to a point where we needed this extraordinary measure. I think the, the the major danger is past, and I think it's time to put away this tool and go back to our regular laws and 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 hope that they work this time. Um, I do see why the feds would be mistrustful that the police can handle this because of what we just saw for the last three weeks. But uh, we need to, if you're going to do these extraordinary measures, you need to be open to extraordinary pressure and extraordinary uh, ex- people making uh, asking a lot of difficult questions because this is just a lot for our country to see. And as Carmen said, we're being watched around the world about how we're handling mm-hmm. this.
1: I think, Catherine, that you're missing the biggest failure of leadership, and that's from the prime minister. Like, where has he been from the very beginning? I'm mm. sorry, but he's been hiding with his head in the sand. He fueled the fire back in middle of January, and now he's been hiding with his head in the sand for political g- for political gain. Well, Canadians everybody's go. Everybody's doing it for. I know, no, but everybody doing is doing gain. it for political sure. gain. But the Ottawa police all along have said they need more resources. They were able to get rid of the coots protest, the Ambassador Bridge, without the Emergencies Act they needed resources where were the resources where was the prime minister standing up and saying that this was not okay and figuring out a way and showing leadership michael chong the mp um i'm not sure where his he's the mp for yeah he, if not just say ontario. just ontario uh he did an amazing speech yesterday and i would you know go take a listen to that and he talks about the rule of law and how democracy is built around the rule of law and there was laws that could have been used to freeze bank accounts that didn't need the emergencies act mm-hmm. to make these go away it didn't Didn't need the Emergencies Act.
0: But you can't give, uh, first of all, I hope Michael Chong seeks the CBC leadership. I hope. Same. Um, I I hope that the party doesn't pass on him twice. I think he'd be a great leader. Uh, But but I also think that it's kind of comical for you, my friend, to crack on. And, and I'm not here to jump to the defense of the liberals nor the prime minister. I was hard on the prime minister in a tweet a while ago, too. I'm just saying, uh, you know, to say that, you know, the liberals talk about law and order. I mean, the conservatives have been the ones posing for selfies and bringing coffee to oh, the I occupiers. Agree. So Michael nobody's Cooper, been the party of no, law and order no in this one.
1: Jason Kenney, you know, now saying he's going to go and we're going to fight against the Emergencies Act. We've yeah. got, you know, local city councillors who are throwing Rice Krispie squares at protesters. Like everybody oh, is using okay? this. Everybody. <laughs> is using this for their own political gain while Canadians are being torn apart. And that's what the question is that you asked me, you know, right off the hop. And I do think it's a shame that, you know, so many people are scared are worried are concerned. And these are our fellow Canadians that we need to talk to and have conversations with rather than just looking for the next Twitter, like and the next retweet, as we're talking in those echo chambers, lots of things are happening with Canadians today and we've got major issues and I'm just really sick of the politics around it all. I just, I'm really sick of it.
4: Yeah, it's a dangerous time Mm -hmm. to really pile on in this mistrust of all of our institutions. People don't trust their government right now. They don't trust their law enforcement right now. They don't trust these fundamental pillars of our democracy. And yes, we're rightfully so should be asking questions. But when politicians are making political hay around these things at at such a volatile, dynamic time. it's, it's really dangerous and you're threatening to burn the whole house down if you keep piling on in this way. And it makes me really, really concerned about the future of Canada post-pandemic when you're seeing such a mistrust. People are so cynical. They've lost faith in all of these institutions. And that's not a good thing for our country.
0: Can you, I mean, can you stitch it back together? Harmon? Do, do you get the sense that this is a country that can be stitched back together?
3: You know, I think when you see conservative politicians kind of start playing to the lowest common denominator um, and amplifying groups that they know and they're aware of have, you know, conspiratorial um, theories that they're now trying to uh, perpetuate on the public. I mean, let's remember, we're not asking a lot of people when it comes to what they needed to do during this pandemic right now. right? Wear a mask. It's not hard. You know, I, I was in West Africa. Like, and and these are a lot of countries that were not touched um, in the same way by COVID as Canada was. And they have no problem wearing masks. Everybody's wearing masks. Wherever they go, they wear masks. It's not that hard. Um, And, you know, I'm just shocked um, that, you know, conservative politicians know better than anyone else, um, you know, a lot of the fringe groups that exist in this protest. And yet there they were, um, you know, now trying to claim that there's some legitimacy to these these concerns, these desires, these requests, when when absolutely when it started, there was not, you know, now you saw this, you know, convergence of multiple different groups with different interests. Uh, And I think that becomes uh, the problematic piece, because they've enabled um, this convergence, they've enabled these people to come together and now start to share a platform, which has led to this, um, what they now themselves are calling a division in Canada. They're perpetuating that division uh, by by amplifying the differences and by giving fringe groups the voice that they want. And so I think for for Canadians, it's a failure at a political level. Yeah, does Trudeau deserve um, some criticism? Absolutely. You know, yesterday Jigmitsen going along with the the Prime Minister and in, in in passing the emergency act. You know, absolutely uh, concerning. I think he's shown himself to be completely powerless uh, in situations like this or being able to advocate or even hold the the prime minister accountable. So a complete failure and abdication of leadership across the board um, from the entire spectrum. And it's very disappointing. And it's time that we hold every politician, but in particular, those who are giving the space to extremists and extreme fringe groups responsible. Uh That's the only way we stitch this back together.
0: Um, i'm just dropping it on the live chat here tracy says coots would still be going uh if those guns were not found that's a fact Uh, i agree with tracy um you know there was also an interesting comment here someone said who was it I'm sorry I lost the comment but somebody said that the country is not divided uh, conservatives are divided that was Sandra that said that that's an interesting comment somebody else talking about cons- Scott says read the comment sections Facebook groups stuff online many who supported the convoy are going full-blown conspiracy theory wanted to let you know that's the subject of our Friday real talk roundtable this week conspiracy theories we're not going to dig into them and see which ones are true we're going to talk how they get to where they're at well how they spread and, and why people are more susceptible to the or at least is that the way it seems as of late. Uh, listen, we've got 10 more minutes with this crew and we got to keep the conversation moving quickly. Jenny, you contributed to, you worked on, I should say, Peter McKay's mm-hmm. leadership campaign and the latest conservative leadership But not brace. in the
1: communications. <laughs> I just want to say <laughs> nothing okay. to do with that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yes, it's always interesting when somebody doesn't win and then everybody that works on their campaign to No, I was saying it during. <laughs> I was saying it
1: during. Like I have nothing to do with whatever okay. they're doing.
0: Okay. You think he's going to run again, by the way?
1: I don't know if he is going to run again. Is it to help pay off his debt? You know, I've, I heard an, an incredible rumor, and I really don't think it's true, but I heard that the Mulroonies were trying to stoke Ben into running for leadership, and how interesting would that be if you had Ben Mulrooney versus Justin Trudeau? Wow. That would be, but I mean, I can't see it actually happening, but I thought that was a really fun rumor.
0: Um, let's talk about the Conservative leadership. It's uh, We're going to get into this a little bit later in uh, our Real Talk question of the week when we review the results. The majority of Real Talkers at this point, obviously, who else are you going to say, uh, suspect that Pierre Polyev will be the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada? Do you think that's the case Uh, I'd put money on it I mean if I was betting if I had to bet on one horse yeah well you have to
1: understand I'm a really jaded political volunteer right so now I know how this works like in in my dream world no we have a much more progressive conservative leader um, like a Michael Chong or like you know a Peter McKay somebody who is a lot more progressive so we can actually start pandering to the center of Canadians you know which is what I think Canada really needs but that's not how you win leadership the party's
0: swinging further right
1: yeah and it's just it's so disheartening and it's just not how you win so you know will he win i don't know i guess we'll we'll see what happens
0: ko what do you think is happening with the leadership campaign and and even like sort of like widening or broadening out the question um do do you think the brand is emboldened strengthened or damaged after these last few weeks
4: well i think we're still in the middle of this so it's hard to tell how how this is all gonna you know it's how it's all gonna play out but i think it's definitely in certain parts of the country it's it's quite damaged and then in other parts of the country uh it's been strengthened but if you're a a conservative right now you want to strengthen your brand in ontario and quebec and quite frankly i don't think this helps their brand in in those parts of the country where they need to grow support if they want to ever win an election so um it's going to be a fascinating leadership race from the perspective that in the last two we saw a ton of folks come out and and seek seek the race you've only seen one candidate so far and i don't expect there to be many because of the fact that you know like jenny you know we know how these things work and if you see all the money and the party support going in one place it, a lot of people get spooked by that and don't come forward and put their name into the race so i i bet you it's going to be a very slim down race uh, i um barring someone huge going into the race it looks ben like Mal it's Rooney.
0: Well who no like yeah but no but actually <laughs> oh like God. Catherine who would who would who would be the example
4: well, there's people talking about Jean Charest, but that is so yesterday but that even I can't that, even like, imagine. No. Like, that is like, that's just political nerds dreaming that up. <laughs> and, like, I can't even imagine, A, it would happen, but B. You know you're a political but,
1: nerd, Catherine. You're one of <laughs> them, right? Yeah. I am a
0: political everybody nerd. watching, <laughs> everyone everybody, everybody tuning in, and, everyone today and everybody and talking home. right yeah. now is all nerds, political nerds. nerds it's, it's a compliment. Sort of
4: like, yes, it's a, it's a complete compliment.
0: Harmon, um, what do you think? Well, yeah,
4: I've
3: got a name. I've got Patrick Brown. Uh, Patrick Brown is the leader the Conservatives need.
0: Brampton this Marion. man
3: has demonstrated absolutely amazing leadership as the mayor of Brampton. He's taken strong positions on on issues like Bill 21, which every single federal leader has failed, absolutely failed. The, you know, the minority communities in this country. Patrick Brown was the sole person who stood up and actually challenged the status quo. He's done a phenomenal job. He was going to be the Premier of Ontario. This man knows how to organize. Right now, Pierre Polyvera is the choice.
4: But he got in Ontario, Harman. He's, uh, sorry, I'm
1: just... Pierre Polyvera, <laughs>
3: you know, choosing Pierre Polyvera is basically the Conservatives showing us that their intent is to compete with Maxime Bernier uh, and not actually try to win an election.
1: But that's so, the problem. That's where they think that we need to win is... is is over there. But the
3: math doesn't work. It,
1: the math doesn't and, work.
3: And so they, they talk about winning leaderships, but they don't think about winning elections. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I was on the record as somebody who thought, you know, Aaron O'Toole needed some more time. This is a guy who basically had his leadership entirely during the period of COVID. Um, but, you know, each M- MP is getting 100 emails a day from a bunch of, you know, anti-mask, maskers anti-vaxxers you know anti-mandate people and all of a sudden now pierre Polyvera they they look in in the mirror and say well he's going to be our savior absolutely not um he appeals to such a small group of people patrick brown is the one person who can come in and save the conservative party or at least set them up to be competitive in the next election the election gets won by the suburbs. It's going to be won by the 905 in Ontario. And the one guy who's shown that he's able to win in those areas is Patrick Brown. Aaron O'Toole thought he could deliver the 905. He was not able okay. to.
1: Harmon, I love Brown's you, Patrick Brown's that guy. I love you, but how many times have you been down this path of choosing a leader you think is going to be really great and then you understand how it works and it's all about the ground game and it, it's the reason that Jason Kenney going to win the you know his vote of confidence in a couple of weeks and probably the next election it yeah. you know it's great to have these ideas of who we think will be wonderful but it all comes down to the nuts and the bolts of how you win these elections and getting out the vote and there's a machine that exists and it's really hard to beat if you're not pandering to the really passionate folks
0: who are you know how you beat it is you convince all of the lazy everybody's that don't engage at all because the reason why you pander to the fringes is because because the fringes are hyper engaged and they they donate and they say exactly Exactly. right and until we
1: get off our butts and actually do something about it until i'm looking at us no i know you are and we actually we're doing our part we're here today we're doing our part i was on seven campaigns for the last election you have
0: been you've been non-stop patrick
3: brown has done this patrick brown won a leadership race in Ontario for the PCs. He's been through the gauntlet. He was an outsider in that leadership race. He was, a you know, a, a very little known MP um, who was able to put together a phenomenal campaign. So, you know, he's not the political neophyte who doesn't understand how to do the organizing at the gra- grassroots level. You know, this is a guy who's relevant today. He's relevant on a national scope. You know, let's look outside of Alberta uh, for options. And if the only person that I see who has a shot of beating the establishment joint of Pierre Pont is going to be Patrick Brown. Every conservative leadership race in the last three races has gone to somebody who was not the front runner and somebody who's willing to outwork um, everyone else. And I think Patrick Brown has that ability and he has the ability to expand the tent for that party. He's the one who set up that victory for, uh, for Doug Ford, that Doug Ford just basically was able to tap in uh, for, for the victory. So I, I, th- I think he's somebody to look out for.
1: So are you going to be on his campaign for Alberta then? Are you chairing it? Is this you telling us right <laughs> now, Harmon? Harman? You're so I've, conservative. I've no,
3: no, I've. This is just me making bold predictions based on what I want to see in politics. Okay. You know, I failed last <laughs> time when I was on, and I talked about how Erin O'Toole was gonna, you, you know, become prime minister. I that was terrible. Um, you know, and I got called <laughs> out right. <laughs> Have you soul. ever won
1: anything? Just, no, we're well, do a group chat here. Jeez. Yeah, this is, this is, <laughs> I've never chat. put my name forward for anything. It just, so, <laughs> just so
0: happens to be consumed by a few more people. Listen, we have three minutes left with the three of you. K.O. I, I know you've got a meeting starting in just a little bit, and, and and the two of you are probably busy with your own thing as well. Jenny can't give us any details. Although, Harmon, a lawyer, you can't tell us anything either. Uh, but let's talk about this real quick. We're talking on a Tuesday. This is live. We're coming up to 9 p.m., uh, 9 a.m. Mountain Time. Uh, Speech from the throne this week. Alberta legislature's back. And we expect to see a budget on Thursday. Um, here's like the kind of the the, the quick notes, the Cole's notes on it is that oil's trading way higher than was budgeted for. It's good news for Alberta, uh, at least in the short term. Record production, uh, 1.3 was at 1.3 billion barrels. I think last year record production for Alberta. Uh, it looks like Jason Kenny could put out a balanced budget uh, if not a surplus budget is it enough to save his skin he's got his leadership review coming up i think april 9th off the top of my head and then of course next year albertans go to the polls uh ko you first uh jason kenny m- m- let me go on the record first so i'm not swayed by all of your opinions i think he survives the leadership uh rate you know the leadership review and and uh i think it's a very, a very real possibility he could be premier again in 2023 ko what do you think
4: you know, I think Jason Kenney is going to have a very good week this week. And yeah. for a guy who's had a very bad year, this is going to be the start of, I think, a run for him And the, from the perspective of on Thursday. It does look like we're close to having a balanced budget. On on Saturday, he's already telegraphed that they're likely going to be getting rid of some of the um, COVID measures that health measures have been in place for a long time. So he's starting to lay the groundwork for the 2023 election. And, you know, this turnaround with our budget is Massive. This is a huge, huge story. When you think about that, in 2021, we were projecting like an 18 billion dollar deficit. Um, the fact that we're close to, you know, balancing the books and having maybe even a tiny surplus is uh, very significant, um, and it will really change the channel. I think for a lot of Albertans about where we are, the feeling about just the uncertainty. The fact that people have been so you know that the, the covet and the pandemic has just been so difficult for so many people on so many levels so i think he's gonna have a really good week barring any of his you know comments that he says on the on on the podium because sometimes he gets long-winded and he and he, his communications don't come across but but from and he a starts
0: talking about people dying of aids or you know yeah yeah yeah
4: not helpful. But, not
0: not but helpful. Most especially you, for him. They,
4: yeah. If they stick to the script this week, it's going to be a very good week. And I think at the start of this election campaign, it's starting this week.
0: Harmon. Yeah, I would agree with
3: um, Ko. I think that you know conservatives they love to eat their own, but you know having your leader be the best organizer is going to be difficult for anyone to kind of displace Jason Kenny for so long. You know his playbook has relied upon externalizing the enemy. Uh, to Justin Trudeau. And with this week of the passing of the Emergencies Act, you know, he gets to start that whole framework and that that, that whole campaign. Once again, Justin Trudeau is going to be a threat. Um, you know, that's how we won the last election is coming up with you know, um, th- this boogeyman that was going to impact Alberta. Harmon, let me step on, let thing. me step
0: on your toes for a quick second. Does it hurt Jason Kenney that it, you know, it's, 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 it's come out. People have become privy to the information that the, his provincial government had requested help from Ottawa, had requested help from the feds, heavy equipment, funding personnel. Does that hurt Kenny's argument that Alberta or Canada doesn't need the emergencies act and doesn't need Ottawa? It's, it
3: should, like, theoretically, like, you know, logically it should, but it's not going to, um, which is the wild part about this whole thing. Okay. You know, that's why Jason Kenney, you know, at the drop of the hat, starts a new lawsuit. Right. He's just changing the channel. This is now about the Emergencies Act and it's about nothing that came before it, Um, which is always why this man is able to live continuous lives. He's able to change the channel and continue to set the pace of the agenda of what people are going to talk about. And so I think, you know, given the good news that's going to come out, um, he'll be able to craft a narrative that's going to be compelling for this next election.
0: Jenny
1: to a fault. I always try and remember the group or remind the group chat that I'm like the everyday average Albertan who's kind of engaged, but not really engaged and kind of paying attention. Well, you play
0: that person in the group chat. But I
1: do, and my family lives in rural Alberta, and so what I'm trying to say is that Jason Kenney is speaking to some Albertans. Some Albertans like what he has to say. They don't exist on Twitter, but they exist in real life. So this man knows what he's doing, Um, and once you have seen it in action a few times, you would never count him out. I don't think he's thinks he's had a really bad year um although it's clear he's had a bad well, he'd year he never let on of, no he'd never let on he would never apologize uh but yeah certainly i think he, he wins again and i think you know i'm not sure if he balances the budget this time or maybe saves that for you know a year from now when mm-hmm. we're flying right into an election we have to have better news right right before we, we vote um so maybe I, he can
0: do like the ralph bucks thing
1: <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs>
0: If there's a surplus, he can give us all four hundred bucks.
1: Maybe he'll make it five hundred. Well, <laughs> can, so.
0: can you imagine? Yeah, no kidding.
1: I think that they were planning on doing that and just kind of forgot. Yeah, but uh, we need that.
0: That is Jenny Adams, the Adams Agency. That's Harmon Candola of SB LLP and the World Sick Organization, and Catherine O'Neill, uh, CEO of YWCA Edmonton. To the three of you, Mwah. Thanks for doing this. Bye, guys. I'll see you on the group chat. then you can say what you really think (laughs) that was fantastic coming up in just a second we'll get into the results of our most recent Y station polling our question of the week we talk about erin o'toole's leadership we talk about the conservative party of uh, canada's leadership race we talk about the ottawa occupation we're following these stories and we want to have our finger on the pulse of where you're at results plus our new question of the week posted right now under the connect link at RyanJesperson.com. hey today is the kickoff of the growing the north conference i wanted to let you know about this this is a, a really really fantastic opportunity for you to check in, hear from, and network with business and industry leaders, municipal leaders, and entrepreneurs talking economic development opportunities and innovation, specifically in Northwest Alberta. There's three half days of learning, sharing, and connecting with industry leaders. This is Northern Alberta's premier economic development conference. It's typically held in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Shout out Grand Prairie. But this year's event, a virtual event, which means that stakeholders across the province, of course, are able to and are welcome to join. You can learn more at growingthenorth.com. Do not delay. You can check out the conference site. You can learn about the roster of speakers and more at growingthenorth.com. Our friends at Athabasca University want to make sure that you know about this new artificial intelligence, the AI ethics, micro credential. This is really neat. You're not you're not doing a bachelor's degree over the next four years. But if you want to learn more, get certified and better understand the ethics of A.I., this is part of Power Ed at Athabasca University. So why do you need this certification? Well, it covers the essentials, the basics of how modern A.I. systems work, the ethical issues that you encounter in the design and deployment of A.I., and of course, the important role that citizens can play in shaping our AI future. This sounds to me like a pretty good opportunity for people looking to bolster their chances in a new promising and competitive job market. You can learn more at powered.athabascau.ca. And if you're like friends of ours, it seems like more and more of them have earned a trip somewhere hot. They want to feel the sand between their toes. If you're flying out of Edmonton's International Airport at any point till the end of 2022, we want to encourage you to use jetsetparking.com. You can save money right now by booking online. Just click EIA from the main page and then book your travel with at least 24 hours notice. Again, it can go all the way through to the end of the year. The promo code REALTALK gets you parking for just $7 a Date You will not find better airport parking at a price like that anywhere. The promo code REALTALK at jetsetparking.com gets you parking for $7 a day. Well, coming up in just a few moments, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, a bioethics professor, a bioethicist from UCAL Berkeley, uh, Dr. Jody Halpern is going to join us. She's researching Uh, how people who experience uh, serious health challenges, loss, and the stresses of something like a pandemic uh, in the prime of their lives can cope, can bounce back. What's the key to recovery? I think this is a conversation that we're all going to be able to relate to, to a certain degree, some of us probably more than others. Uh, Dr. Jody Halpern coming up in just a few minutes. You know, every single week, our official research and strategy partners at Y Station produce our question of the week we call it our get real question of the week our patreon supporters get the full top line report the full results in their email every week and of course we share the highlights of the results with you sam let's get into it we wanted to know where you were at with the top news stories of the week of the month for that matter across the country in particular the conservative party of canada members of parliament Saying goodbye to now former leader, Aaron O'Toole. We asked you were the conservatives smart to axe EOT. 74% of you said no. Three out of four. By the way, 38% of you added pass the popcorn. You're curious to see how this works out for the official opposition, the party that wants to form government again. Let's take another look, another highlight here from our question of the week. 32% of Real Talkers surveyed say we are headed down a dangerous path of division 32 percent of you believe that characterize it as a dangerous path i'm not sure if we feel like that's lower or higher than we thought it might be here's another highlight we asked you will the conservative party of canada survive this you know this 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 tidal wave right erin o'toole leaving uh you know dissension perhaps between mps a divide whether or not they should be siding or not with the truckers, so to speak. The leadership campaign, a shot in the arm, yes, no. 46% of you say yes, the party will survive. 36% of you say it's limping. I mean, on the flip side, that means 54% of you suspect the party may not survive. Of course, it's gonna survive. Here's the final result we'll take a look at. Your predictions for the next conservative leader. Now, keep in mind, really, nobody other than Pierre Polyev has declared so maybe no surprise that 53% of you believe that Pierre Poliev will be the next Conservative Party leader. 18% of you, perhaps some of you tongue in cheek, suggest that there will not be another leader. The party won't exist. <laughs> and 4% of you think that Peter McKay will be the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. I'm curious to see whether or not Peter McKay throws his hat into the ring. That'd be an interesting one to watch. Michael Chong, another interesting one. Jean Charest, would that float your boat? We asked you if there's anything else. Your final thoughts. This is the part of the polling that I really like getting into. And you take a couple minutes to share your personal thoughts with us. One of you said, "At some point, it all went wrong. You know, we stopped caring about people. We became obsessed with our own small viewpoints. Seemed like everybody else could just go to hell. Both sides are guilty of this, but one side is far more guilty than the other. I don't know if conservative politics can survive this." This viewer said, "At some point, the whole thing is going to implode. I just hope it doesn't take the country with it." Another one of you says we need a stronger left, not a resurgent right. Canadian society is changing. My children's generation is not into conservative values. Another said the party, the conservative party's hard right wing is too out of touch with the average voter, but they comprise a good chunk of the mainly Western elected MPs to win the leadership. You need to win those members, but the philosophy is not popular to win the country in an election. So I feel the party will eventually fracture into a progressive wing and a right wing fringe group. That's an interesting comment. We always appreciate your participation in our question of the week. We're continuing our polling on the big headline stories this week. Different angles, different approaches, and of course, fresh questions from the team at Y Station. You can sign up to complete our question of the week right now on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Just go to connect and then select question of the week, presented by our research and strategy partners at Y Station let's get into this. Uh, Sam, we ready to rock here. And you, Cal Berkeley, I've been looking forward to this conversation because this is something I think that as, as we, uh, and, and geez, I'm already offering qualifiers in the intro. I'm already offering a caveat here. And, and perhaps that's a perfect jumping off point for our next guest, Dr. Jody Halpern. And that is as we quote unquote move on from the pandemic, you could quite rightfully say to me, move on, move on. This thing's not over yet. But I see around me, look what's going on, for example, in Great Britain. Look what Boris Johnson's talking about. All mandates will be lifted. We see people moving on. Kids in schools. I mean, March 1st, there's a big day. Kids in schools had a big day, too. Mass no longer mandatory. No more QR codes to get into restaurants. You're paying attention. You know what I'm getting at. So we're going to start talking about recovery in a way. And we'll have big high-level conversations about economic recovery. And we'll talk about social recovery. You know, can we mend these wounds? Can we heal? All the big high-level stuff. But what about on the personal level? What about on the self-care level? I mean, how do we understand the toll that a pandemic has taken on this? Let alone people that have been ill, seriously ill with COVID-19. Maybe people, those so-called long haulers living with long COVID symptoms. What about people that lost a loved one that weren't able to properly say goodbye or properly mourn or properly celebrate that life? Dr. Jody Halpern is a chancellor's professor in bioethics at UC Berkeley, researching how people who experience these serious health challenges in their prime of life and people who care for them can cope. Dr. Halpern, welcome to Real Talk and thanks for making time for us.
5: Thank you, Ryan.
0: I guess I came into this a little bit supercharged, almost unintentionally, saying as we move on from the pandemic. And and I realized even that could raise the ire of of some folks. Where are you at with regards to processing where we're at as a society? And, and what do you gauge with regards to where people are at personally?
5: Well, I can bring my answer to you. I mean, in terms of the pandemic, I know as much as everybody else does about what's going to happen, obviously, in terms of variants, et cetera. Um, But what I can share with you is um, what I've learned from 10 years of following people with life-changing losses and illnesses um, prior to the pandemic and the stage that they're at at about the two-year mark, which turns out, shockingly, to be how long we've been in this pandemic. And at about the two-year mark where people are at is that they've been strenuously coping. They've been doing everything they can to um, use all their defense mechanisms to get through the, the pandemic or the phase of illness they're in. And they become burned out. They become burned out and they're at a very critical inflection point or fork in the road in how they go on with their lives and how they psychologically can internalize what's happened with them and move on in a good way with their life.
0: When it comes to the toll. The, the tall- that this takes on people, the pandemic, it's obviously, I think, probably a subjective conversation, right? For some folks, it will have impacted them in some way. uh, For others, another way. Does the average person realize or recognize what they've been feeling or the depth of what they've been feeling or the significance in their own life?
5: Well, again, from 10 years of studying people with life-changing illnesses, cancer, heart disease, MS, my guess is that they don't yet recognize Mm -hmm. it because people only start to recognize it after about a year and a half or two years. And what happens is people have been so busy coping and trying to deal and survive, take care of their families or function, um, and I can give you stories about that, that they really... um, they really haven't been able to figure out how does this really change the rest of my life? People use defense mechanisms, some of which are very healthy, like humor or altruism, helping neighbors, doing food shopping for neighbors. Uh, But they also use very unhealthy defense mechanisms like denial, blaming, um, avoiding, just to function. And after about a year and a half or so, all the grief they've been pushing down and all the sense that they've lost a big chunk of their life and that their life may never be the same again can, can well up. And the question is, what helps people do the grieving they need to do in a way that can be really health, healthy for them? And we don't have a lot of clues about that in our cultures. Um, but one of the things that matters enormously is if people can internalize empathy. For themselves and other people and i've been studying empathy for 30 years and i can talk about two different parts of what i mean by internalizing empathy and i can tell you some stories about that yeah i
0: would love to hear it i know our audience would too
5: okay so the two parts of internalizing empathy that are so critical is they're say they're they're the same thing that you get from a really good therapist but what's amazing is my research shows that people can sort of do it for themselves and each other and the two parts are creating a feeling of safety, even with very difficult emotions, and being safe is very, very important. And the other part is developing curiosity, empathic curiosity about your expectations for your life and yourself. Are you pushing yourself too hard? Why? And that curiosity can be therapeutic. So let me tell you two stories if we have time.
0: Yeah, we do. You bet. We got we got got all the time in the world. Doc, it's your schedule.
5: I love the long form. I love your show and I love the long form. It's it's so fantastic. But anyway, okay, two stories. The first story is about developing safety. First of all, um, where you get your safety may not be obvious. As I said, it can come from a therapist helping you grieve, but it can come in very different places. So this is the story of a woman named Carly. We'll call her Carly. Um, so she had in, uh, uh, in her early child, at age 12, she was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes. And she had very um, distant, preoccupied parents. So she had to really cope with it on her own, learn how to use insulin and take care of herself. And she became a very independent woman. I met her in her 40s and she had a successful life and she had relationships and a very successful way of being with people, but she didn't really trust anyone very deeply to take care of her or be there for her because she had had so much um, adversity and independence from early in life. And in her mid 40s, her diabetes became much worse. So it was like a new illness. What happens to some people with juvenile diabetes is it becomes very brittle. So the way she relaxed in life was she would go biking or hiking on her own. But suddenly her blood pressure, her blood sugar would drop so quickly that she could pass out and die if she were alone. And one in 20 people, her doctor told her, can die with brittle diabetes at that stage. So he said, you have to be. Someone has to be with you all the time. You can't just be on your own, which she couldn't tolerate the thought. But what she wound up doing is getting a support dog. There are support dogs for diabetes. The way I saw her at at the Y at the gym doing a spin class where this beautiful black lab came into the class with her, laid down in front of her bike, and when she started to really sweat. The dog sat up and stared at her until Mm. she got off the bike and took a protein bar. So this dog became her constant companion and made her life very safe. Then the dog developed cancer and she had to get treatment for the dog. And the only way she could afford to do that was by asking for help. So she reached out to a veterinary Um, surgery area that she knew and the top veterinarian, she reached out, she went, they did free care for her dog. She went to stay near there and people offered her housing. Someone else made meals for her. And she said this was transformative. She realized there was a social hold, that the world could be a safe place of people offering her help. And ever since then, and I've known her for years since, she and the dog volunteered at a cancer center where families um, meet and she helps parents deal with their children with cancer and give the support she never received. So she's been psychologically transformed by the social hold that she found and the safety she found to deal with her illness.
0: A uh, doctor will recognize we're talking to you from the beautiful state of California, but but let's take a look at some of the Canadian numbers here. I think that I mean just to provide some perspective when we're talking about the number of people that that'll be. You know, I mean, impacted to a certain degree, certainly by COVID. Look at this. 36,000 Canadians have died uh, from COVID-19. Obviously, that that number in the United States is much larger. But 36,000 loved ones lost from COVID-19. Almost 6 million, 5.89 million people worldwide have died from COVID-19. There have been more than three and a quarter million cases of COVID-19 in Canada and almost half a billion 425 million cases of COVID-19 worldwide. I mean, from, from almost any angle of approach, doctor, this is an unprecedented challenge. I mean, maybe aside from people walking planet Earth that would have memory of, of 1918 or, you know, p- p- potentially, I mean, other obviously huge challenges, but this for most people are, is going to be, I think, a, a real challenge. And we're talking long-term challenge for a lot of people.
5: So let's talk about how are we going to create a social hold to deal with the grieving Mm -hmm. that we need to do. And even though everyone's COVID-19 was different, I see it as the whole world got awareness of mortality, whether you got it and lost a loved one or not. Um, And in one state in in a, I talked to a group of women in Texas in a big corporation where 25% of them have lost a relative. So you know someone who's lost someone in the United States with a million deaths, close to a million deaths. Um, and in Canada, that's a very, still a big proportion of your 3.6 million people. Um, so although you've done much better, frankly. Um, but, but it's still, for each of those deaths, it doesn't matter who else has died. They've lost a loved one. How do you create a social hold? So let me say some of the things that we've been experimenting with that have been helpful. First of all, I started with the others, a task force at UC Berkeley. The School of Public Health here has 1,500 people in it, staff, faculty, students, and we had a group of eight of us to reach out and really find out how 1,500 people were doing and how do you do that. We wanted to have intimate conversations that really helped people. Well, early in COVID, a lot of people heard the scary figure that for each person with COVID, three other people get infected. So we decided if if COVID can spread exponentially, social hold and empathy can spread exponentially also. So we asked each of the eight of us to contact three people to have in-depth listening sessions. And then we would ask each of those three people to contact three people. We called it the power of three. And we did it, and we reached all 1,500 people. But the question was, as we were training, what were we going to ask people? We didn't know each other, and it was the height of COVID deaths in the United States. So we were thinking, what do you say to someone when you call them and you don't know? Have they lost someone? Have they gotten sick? Have they, are they home with school children trying to work and stressed out? What's going on in their life? Are they economically or the front line? Are they losing their job? Interestingly, we're a school of public health The emphasis was so much on being positive that the younger folks in our group wanted to call people and say, how are you thriving? And they thought that would make people feel positive. But those of us that are older and have been in healthcare a long time, um, coach them. I've coached doctors and nurses for 30 years on how to have empathic curiosity. And I said, you absolutely have to start out just listening and saying to people, what's your COVID like? And just literally asking, because everyone's COVID is different. And nobody believed that would be therapeutic, but they tried it. We trained and they were open-minded and it had an enormously therapeutic impact on our community. Mm -hmm. Just saying, what's your COVID been like? And just listening. It provides a hold and it helps people tell their story often for the first time. And when people have to tell their story, they begin to grieve because they're with an empathic other and sometimes it helps them even think about their story in a way that helps them see some new ways of helping themselves. Uh,
0: Dr. Jody Halpern, our guest, uh, I should mention your your book. I mean, a really popular book, From Detached Concern to Empathy Humanizing Medical Practice. It's, it's been credited with catalyzing a wave of change. In medical education, and of course, doctor, you're working on a, a book right now, remaking the self in the wake of illness, presenting a model for post-traumatic growth. Um, I This you, you talk about healthcare workers. This one uh, stopped me in my tracks. This tweet just yesterday. It's a heartbreaker um, from the account uh, RN underscore crit care, like a critical care registered nurse uh, tweeted. A co-worker ended their life after our shift the other day. Uh, didn't go home and shower. Didn't change out of scrubs. I don't know if it was planned or spontaneous, but I do know we got the last living moments. And I don't know how I feel about that. Our broken team is shattered. Right. It's heavy. uh, And that's just one story. And uh, I have
5: to say this is a big part of my life is getting those calls um, because I mean, I just could I'm actually getting tears in my eyes because I just um, I've been working with doctors and nurses the whole crisis. We've been writing about this. First of all, I don't know if people realize, I mean, we've lost, I mean, not to suicide, we've lost many to suicide, but we've lost to COVID, at least 115,000 um, doctors and nurses worldwide to directly to COVID. Um, we have um, a 75% rate of major depression or generalized anxiety in doctors and nurses right now in the United States. We have a 15% rate of suicidal ideation, which is a thousand times higher than the general population normally is so we are losing we're losing people i mean we're seeing a lot of people leave the profession and burning out and we're seeing more divorce a lot more substance use but we're seeing people kill themselves i got a call a week and a half ago about a nurse killing herself mm-hmm. and um, these are the most she was someone who was volunteering around the country to help i really do tear up uh, during crises so um it's an unbelievable um, cost. I don't think we'll see people provide healthcare with the same levels of enthusiasm for a long time, unless we do the work that I have studied that does help, which is to give an enormous amount of social hold and empathy and care. I mean, people want to give it to healthcare workers. One thing that's helped the general population during COVID, I think you have that in Canada as well, as people go out on the street at eight o'clock at night and in their neighborhoods in the U.S., they've been doing that and clapping and thanking healthcare workers. I think it's helped people be with their own neighbors, do something with their neighbors, and feel in it together. But we have to do a lot more financially, socially, um, give people real respite. People need respite.
0: Yeah, Jody, it's like you know you say that at the banging the pots and the pans, and that that feels like two years ago. <laughs> it kind of was two years ago, and then we've had the pendulum swing the entire other direction you know several months ago we had a bunch of maroons blockading and protesting at hospitals and harassing healthcare workers i mean we've seen it go both ways i've got a a, a personal friend obviously won't identify her but she's an icu nurse She told me a while ago, she said uh, she didn't tell her friends. She didn't tell any of us. None of us knew it. But she says, I actually requested a transfer out of ICU. She said, I was just looking for a different career opportunity. This was pre pandemic. It was like right around the time, like February of 2020. She had requested a transfer out of the ICU, just wanted a change of pace. Of course, they denied the transfer because they've needed ICU personnel more than ever before. And for the last two years, she's been there committed to it um, and committed to her calling as an ICU nurse, but she said, "When when this thing's done, like when we're out on the other side of this, she th- she's considering leaving the profession entirely." And and I know that there are a ton of people that feel that way right now.
5: It's a problem. I think that we um, we've long not, especially nurses, but doctors too, we've long underestimated how much internalizing. We want doctors and nurses not just just stop being doctors and nurses at the end of the day. We want them to have a deep identification with their caring role. But we haven't trained them in the most important skill. Um, well, first of all, during COVID, we have overworked them, and I think that's crucial. Um, and then they haven't had the time to mourn the deaths that they're involved in and they haven't felt and we didn't even protect them with enough safety equipment to protect their own lives and their families early on. So those are the big sins of covid by our governments, at least in the U.S. I don't know if Canada was better with PPE, um, giving protective equipment early on. I mean, that was insane to ask people to risk their lives and their families lives and not even give them the adequate equipment to protect themselves. But a long-standing issue that does help not not against tragedies like not equipping people. But one thing that does help is to recognize the difference in healthcare providers, this is what I've been doing for decades, between sympathy and empathic curiosity and help them learn to be really interested in their patients, but to be able to have processes of using what they learn in a way that doesn't burn them out. And that's why, and we all need that now. We all need that. We need to build, We need constructive projects we can do together. Um, The city of L.A. uh, has asked us to be involved in a citywide memorial for COVID that would be a dynamic memorial. It could be be an experiential museum. But what we're doing to make it a really therapeutic process is we're proposing having focus groups throughout the whole city. We'll have them for nurses and doctors. We'll have them for some of the, the black and brown communities in L.A. that have been hit a lot Harder. Mm -hmm. We'll have them for elders that have been isolated and assisted living. We'll have them for frontline workers. But then we'll also think what do people specific and we'll do. It's empathic listening that we do in those groups. And then what can we do to help the whole city put its arms around each other and create what my current book, Remaking the Self in the Wake of Illness, is about, which is creating a safe social hold. What, what can we do to create a safe social hold so everyone feels safe so that grieving can be therapeutic?
0: Can I ask you a, a personal question to wrap here, uh, Doc? What do you do for your own self-care? Like you, you're getting calls when people are lost to suicide. You're facilitating these groups. You're you're shouldering uh, an immense amount of weight uh, on behalf of other people. You're doing a lot of heavy lifting. What do you do to look after yourself?
5: Well, honestly, I'm lucky to have wonderful family and friends, although they have my mother, my elder mother has been very ill during COVID. So it's, it's, it's wonderful, but it involves additional caregiving. Um, but I think the, honestly, the thing that's, I, th- I think it's interesting. I picked to tell you the story about a woman with her dog, because I have the world's most, uh, I have a, a therapeutic, I mean, she's not technically a therapeutic dog, but I have a dog that every member of my family um, finds we get so much love from and we love to go out and take walks with her. So nature can be a mother, a dog can be a mother. I mean, a mother in the sense of mother earth or a maternal holding environment. So I think being with my dog and I think being in beautiful settings with my dog in addition to friends has made a huge difference.
0: I appreciate you taking the question. A lot of beautiful settings around University of California, Berkeley, I've heard. Uh, congratulations on the upcoming book. Uh, people that want to learn more can go directly to your website. It's Jody You can learn more about her speaking opportunities or research or publications, the consulting that Dr. Halpern does. Uh, and of course, if you liked what you heard here on the show, make sure you share this link with people you know that might benefit from these wise words. Dr. Halpern, thanks for your time. We really appreciate it.
5: Thank you so much, Ryan.
0: You bet. What a good conversation from the author of From Detached Concern to Empathy, Humanizing Medical Practice, uh, Jody's upcoming book, Remaking the Self in the Wake of Illness. Sarah Hoyles is keeping an eye in just a second. We'll uh, check in with her on the other stories that are making news. Obviously, we're keeping an eye on rising tensions, what some are forecasting to be a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Two regions of Ukraine seeing uh, tens and tens of thousands of Russian troops. You've likely seen the images on the news tanks and heavy machinery coming in there, artillery trucks, etc. The international community responding, Vladimir Putin making some pretty inflammatory statements. Hoyles keeping an eye on that. Plus, Donald Trump is back with a new social media platform. Wow. First, let's remind you about the sponsors that we're lucky to have on board. We're so grateful for their support. Every day, Real Talk happens because of teams like those at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. I was just checking out their websites. Check this out at SherwoodDodge.com. You go into specials. You can go to pre-owned specials or new ones. You always want to know the new specials. Look at this, a brand new a 2022 dodge challenger sxt three grand 3500 off right now a sale price of 39 288 maybe you're more into the jeep wrangler a brand new 2021 wrangler sport s i like the sport trim that's the fun one look at this on sale five g's off at 46 988 you can check out all those specials i didn't know jeep was making e-bikes a Jeep E-Bike? How cool is that, Sam? You're like, you have like seven Gs for a Jeep Yeah, e-bike? I'm looking at this
6: and you get the Wrangler and you got, you know, you get the trucks and you got that kind of stuff. And I'm being like, I want the bike. I want the E-Bike.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. If you have a Jeep E-Bike, does that make it is I can do more than other E-Bikes probably. You can I think so, yeah. You can do the mountain crawling. That's how it works. Trail riding yeah. and all that kind of cool stuff. You'll find that right now at SherwoodDodge.com. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you they are pros at bringing your outdoor space to life. Does your backyard space need a little shot in the arm? Could you do so much more? Does it have so much potential untapped? Now's a perfect time to check in with Mike and his team landscapeedmonton.ca is where you can view their services what they do i mean you need excavation retaining walls water features outdoor kitchens they've done it all over 20 years and they're proud of their return customers and their referrals that's eden landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca our friends at local waste invite you to connect with them today for a bin i saw a local waste bin near the house the other day it was a new one near our house I was pretty proud of my neighbors. I don't know what their project is. It hasn't started yet. Maybe it's siding. Maybe it's roofing. I don't know what they're doing. Maybe it's a basement purge, getting ready for their spring cleaning. All I know is that I saw that nice 10-footer, that green local waste bin outside their house. Of course, you'll also see a bunch behind restaurants and small businesses, even the big malls and hotels. They do it all at localwaste.ca. Sarah Hoyles, the editorial producer of this program, At her home studio, we noticed, by the way, in our morning production meeting today, a new setup, a new background. You obviously did a little tweaking over the weekend, new home office. (laughs) It
7: was out of necessity. Uh, Ranger can be quite vocal at times. Um, (laughs) We didn't mind. Yeah, I did. And so, uh, yeah, I just moved back to my office. And that way, it's it's a little more quiet back here. Although now he's over here snoring oh
0: that's okay i don't know that's okay i like well and how about dr halpern talking about the the mental health benefits of uh for a lot of people like therapy dogs either official or unofficial so-called therapy dogs there's an is an unofficial one but i'll say with our moses the nine-year-old boxer whose snoring has ramped up as he's gotten older there's something about the snoring of a dog it's kind of like the purring of a cat in a way it's very calming
7: Absolutely. Like if there's ever a human snoring, I don't mind elbowing them in the ribs, but when it's a dog, I'm like, that's so cute. I love it. Don't stop. It brings me comfort.
0: Yeah. I'm a, i am I live with the most gracious human on planet earth with regards to how she manages snoring. She, she does the, like my buddy Chivers calls them schmerkles, you know, like the little circle in the middle of your back. And she's like, sweetheart sweetheart you're snoring i know other people get like punched in the head from their loved ones they get kicked you know right where it hurts so uh yeah i appreciate that hey it always feels weird to transition from clowning around and joking around we haven't seen each other for a few days to get into like the most serious stuff you know like impending war um or i mean let's hope it doesn't come to that but the signs aren't good uh with regards to this russian i guess you call it an invasion of ukraine what do you want to call it but it, it's a dynamic story sarah a developing story that changes by the hour what's going on right now
7: well i think i mean talking to dr halpern the idea that you know everyone's kind of had it up to here yeah with the pandemic and people are losing their shit like they've yeah. they've they are no longer able to actually cope anymore all of their coping mechanisms are frayed they're done and i feel like that's happening on a global scale so yes russia they have sent troops into two independent areas these are areas that um Basically said that, yeah, we're not a part of Ukraine. We're not interested. kind of
0: separatist states, right, in a way? That's
7: correct. Yeah, they broke away from the Ukrainian government back in 2014. They proclaimed themselves independent people's republics. And then just now, Putin has said, come on in come on in, you're part of Russia now. And now they've sent troops into there. It's called, it's known as the Donbass region. Yeah. Um, so with this happening, um, two major developments has have been that Germany, they've connected with a, a key gas pipeline, which is supposed to be big bucks for Russia mm-hmm. and very helpful for Germany and other parts of Europe. Um, and they basically, Germany has said, we're not going to certify this. This is not going to happen now. The uh, the situation has... They, fundamentally changed is what uh, the chancellor of Germany has said. Okay. The other major development is that the UK, Boris Johnson has put major sanctions on five Russian banks and three high net worth individuals. So, Looking at where where's the money?
0: Yeah, we'll see. And we'll see what happens with, you know, obviously, the United States. Everybody's going to be watching the giant that is the United States. And, and interesting to hear the United States ambassador to the, or the representative to the United Nations uh, talking yesterday, saying that, you know, Vladimir Putin is essentially seeking to discredit uh, or, or lop off at the knees. My words, not there's, uh, you know, the role of the United Nations in all this. So this these I mean, Russia is certainly a superpower um, to a certain degree and in certain contexts, undeniably. And Vladimir Putin, an unpredictable leader to a certain extent. So this is a story we'll follow. And of course, we'll be get, talking to expert voices this week and, and the like, uh, by the way, Sam also just keeping an eye on the monitor up here. And, and we've got developing news uh, as well this Is just breaking news on one of these bail hearings in Ottawa. These are the key organizers of this convoy. Kind of an interesting one, Sam. Hey, so Pat
6: King. Pat King is going to be uh, Pat King is facing four charges, I believe, and he's going to be in court soon. The bigger one is Tamara Leach has been denied bail. Yeah.
0: That is a big one, Hoyles. Of course, she's essentially uh, and nobody ever really mentions this, by the way. She's like has an official position with the Maverick Party, right? Mm -hmm. She's like an executive with the party. This is this is the essentially the the federal Canadian separatist party, the federal separatist party. But but Hoyles, this is an interesting one. She was uh, the fundraiser behind this whole thing. And this was the GoFundMe that got shut down for like $10 million, And then they had the other one uh, on on the other fundraising site. I Give, can't remember. Send, the- go. Give, send, go. Right. Um, she she had that tearful video. I don't know if you saw it. This was a few days ago now where she sort of was talking to her, her supporters or her followers, whatever you want to call them on social media. And she was saying, I think, you know, she's sort of crying and saying, I think this is looking like I'm going to go somewhere where I'm going to get three square meals a day and that's okay. And kind of coming out with the the martyr Type complex on this one, but denied bail. That's an interesting one. There's about to be some accountability for some of the key organizers of this, this occupation in Ottawa and, and the convoy related stuff. Another story. Well, I keep- think
7: also with her arrest, like that was a video of her yeah. being put under arrest. The, uh, you know, taken very gently, uh, <laughs> very, you know, lots of courtesy uh, being paid to her. So uh, not, not being roughed up, um, so can I say that that
0: I I I think that that's a a really thing Not that good I want thing. that to happen exactly right and and and, and like I I want to say that's a good thing <laughs> I I there's I understand people are annoyed in all kinds of ways and everybody seems to be annoyed with everybody and and there's a lot of people and and I, and I recognize I'm wading into a gray area here, uh, but a lot of people were saying, well, let's just get bulldozers from CFB Wainwright and uh, and just run them through the Coots border blockade. And let's open up the board. Let's remind everybody, you know, or let's let's just see, you know, cops barrel in with tasers and pepper spray and all this stuff in downtown Ottawa. And I, I just think because I think we need to have a a decent conversation about how we want to see protests managed and policed and handled in Canada. And it is not a good thing. I understand you're going to say, what about taking liberties and shutting down a city for three weeks and the police were caught flat footed and people have all kinds of opinions and observations. But it's not a good thing, uh, generally speaking, to see protesters met with batons and shields and tear gas. I don't think that's the Canada that we want either.
7: No, but I think we have to realize that that is the Canada that we have if you are black or brown or indigenous. Fair. So I just, it's it's just worth noting. And yes, I'm not saying because this happened to black and brown and indigenous folks that white folks should, or anybody else should receive the baton and be unnecessary force being used against them. But I would like to see it be fairly used across the board and withheld across the board. Totally fair um, comment.
0: Totally fair comment. Absolutely 100%. I you're like nodding. Sam's like, <laughs> yes.
7: What's, what do you,
0: where do you <laughs> land on this
6: one? I think that it's like when I was watching the the breakup of, of the Ottawa blockade play out, Um, the big thing that kind of sort of kept coming into my mind is like, well, this is how it should be. And what I sort of mean by that is is echoing kind of what you and Sarah said is like, I really hope – the videos of the police slowly moving a line and slowly moving in and making just sort of pinpointed arrests and always leaving a method of egress. They didn't kettle anybody. They always gave the people a way out. I think the response was too late. I think it should happen two weeks before that for sure. But when it finally happened, you know, the next time that there is a BLM protest, the next time that there is an LGBTQ issues protest, the next time that there is an indigenous protest – I sincerely hope photos of how the Ottawa police and yep. who joined the Ottawa police are held up as the example of this is the only way to use police to break up a protest. Yeah. I wonder if there will be hot tubs at the,
0: the BLM <laughs> protests. Or the-
7: and that it is and that it is possible. Like, I think, this, yeah. is, this is exactly it that Ottawa police have shown. No, 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 it is possible. It is possible to break up a protest without being major amounts of force. It yep. is possible and the fact that we need the fact that we need to see this now to prove that what was done in the past is not okay is kind of well
0: garbage. <laughs> It's garbage Uh, I okay I this 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 story That you've you've plugged in here and I'm glad you did Because a big uh, part of Your job no pressure oils is to make us all Look smart when we're standing around the water coolers or talking To our friends we always want to know the details On all the stories that matter Um, I have not been paying any attention To this new truth Social app uh, that former reality TV star and, oh, yeah, former president of the United States, Donald Trump has launched. But it's obviously leading the app downloads over the past couple of days. No surprise there. I mean, tens of millions of people voted for the guy again. Uh, But what's the deal here? What's this? They want to circumvent other apps or other social media platforms?
7: It's called Truth Social. And the ads say follow the truth. And yeah, it was launched by Donald Trump and his folks yesterday, not surprisingly, on President's Day in the States. We had Family Day in in Alberta and in other parts of Canada, but yesterday was President's Day in the States. So, hey, that seemed like a perfect opportunity to launch this, this social media app. And it is to, you know, give the middle finger to Facebook and Twitter and everybody that banned him after the January 6th insurrection that he basically fueled and encouraged and all that jazz. So... It's uh, interesting, as you mentioned, it was the top downloaded app on Apple Store. Of course, I mean, probably by me a mile. Kind of like, yeah, of, of course, everybody loves him, goes and downloads it. But then all the people that hate him, and and journalists, and people that are like, given it, I gotta know what's going on. <sighs> it's uh, yeah, it's not surprising. And then there's also the hate follows, right? You're gonna just follow it just because sure. you hate
0: it. Hey, and I encourage as many people as possible to hate follow Real Talk. There's nothing wrong with the hate follow. <laughs> We will take hundreds of thousands of hate follows and hate downloads. That's absolutely no problem. Sam puts up the talk to us. Like, (laughs) send your hate mail to talk at RyanJesperson.com. That's actually a perfect tee-up for local waste. We've already done it, though. Trash talk. You can send us your trash talk anytime. Hoyles, obviously, this could be a precursor to a potential campaign to, quote-unquote, retake the White House, which, of course, a lot of people will be speculating that's exactly going to be Trump's plan. So we'll see where this goes from here.
7: Yeah, and... Like, not just necessarily his run, but all of the candidates that he wants to support and encourage and. Yeah, kind of wield his power that way.
0: That's that's my like uh, six o'clock news anchor impression where you just you 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 can't have a take, you can't have an opinion on it. In this case, I don't want to think about it, so I just say we'll see where it goes from here. Just stack the papers, pile them up on the desk. We'll see where it goes from here. Uh, Sarah Hoyles already working on tomorrow's show. Very much looking forward to that. Of course, we're going to follow up on a lot of these stories that are developing, including uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The conversation will continue through the week. Our friends at Park Power. This came up earlier, Catherine O'Neill talking on the show about natural gas rebates. I know a lot of people right now are going, oh, my gosh, our utilities bills, right? You're getting the bills now from that big cold snap. And and some of you are going, our natural gas, our electricity bills are like double what we're used to, double what they were. You know, I'm not seeing a lot of people. I don't see a lot of people that are locked in to the the fixed rate with Park Power complaining. Uh, Park Power.ca is where you can find your friendly local utilities provider my brother down in calgary he goes i gotta make a switch i got man and i go we'll go to park power he goes he goes i mean calgary i said yeah yeah across the province internet electricity natural gas across the province of alberta park power would love to do business with you you can compare rates today you can learn more about the fixed rate the variable rate and don't forget when you take your business to park power make sure you use the promo code 2022 real talk 2022 Real Talk gets you $70 off your first bill from Park Power. Our friends at Dairy Queen have a brand new burger menu out. They've got the signature stack burgers that everybody gets excited about. The bacon, two cheese deluxe, the original cheeseburger, the loaded steakhouse burger. That's only if you're not messing around. The mushroom cheeseburger and their flamethrower burger available from single to double to the big time triple. You'll find them all at Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. That's Palisades, New Newcastle, Westmount and Baseline Road. Friesen Brothers wants you to keep in mind uh, we're just about a week away. The first of the month means 15% off all grocery purchases over $75. 16 locations across the province of Alberta. Friesen Brothers has been proudly family owned and operated for more than 65 years. Alberta grown, Alberta owned means family comes first with only the freshest, local produce protein and so much more 10% off 15% off on the first of the month at Friesen Brothers across Alberta every week on our first day of the broadcast week of course it's a short week with the family day long weekend in the books we hope you had a great one Our friends at Kubi Energy with Renewable Energy give us an opportunity to focus on the positives, to express ourselves, to share our joys, to talk about those random acts of kindness. We call them positive reflections. An email like this one from MJ absolutely fills our bucket. MJ says, this show makes a difference. Says, please keep talking real talk. I'm finding comfort and clarification from this program. It's answering questions I didn't even know I had. It's covering topics thoroughly and giving well-rounded views with rights come responsibilities. MJ says, I've realized I have much work to do. To the entire team, have the very best rest of the day. That from MJ. (laughs) man oh man that made my day i thought i think thousands of people should hear this one how about this one from tm this goes in in an interesting direction but i wanted to slot it into positive reflections tm says thank you for your recent panel the february 11th panel touching on black history month very informative and interesting conversation one of your guests said put yourself outside your comfort zone could mean reading a book about a different ethnicity or someone's different perspective and i understood what that guest meant and two books came to mind number one when i was 12 years old i first read the diary of anne frank the book had an enormous effect on me and helped me frame a sense of empathy at an early age the second book that impacted me in a major way was the color purple it informed me about maybe certain similarities in my life with characters in the book my mom had a close friend who had survived physical abuse at the hands of her husband she fled to our house on multiple occasions when i read the color purple i was able to understand some of the dynamics of these abusive relationships but i also read about prejudice and how characters suffered simply because of the color of their skin Uh, Of course, I could empathize not because I knew as a white woman what it would be like to suffer from racial prejudice, but because I could relate from one human to the other about unfairness of burdens that some bear. Empathy does not come from understanding differences. It comes from understanding how similar all of us are to each other. That from TM. And thanks for tuning in TM. And this one from Bonnie we will end with this. Bonnie says over this family day weekend, I found out a dear friend is an (laughs) anti-vaxxer. Maybe not an anti-vaxxer, like she's not militant, obviously, Bonnie says, I mean, I had no idea for the past year or so, but she just, she hasn't got her COVID shots and she told me she doesn't intend to. I found out as we were spending some much needed quality time together. We haven't seen each other face to face in ages and I was so grateful to have a chance to get out on our cross country skis and enjoy this beautiful winter weather with a good friend. So why is this a positive reflection? Although I'm still processing my feelings about her unwillingness to do what I think is the right thing, not just for her, but for everybody around her, this weekend was the first time all of this debate and so-called division got personal for me. I was a bit stunned when I first heard, I hadn't expected it, but I treated her with the same love and goodwill I always have through 30 plus years of friendship. We spoke calmly and respectfully and while neither of us changed our minds, yet I'm still hoping for her, I left with the feeling that maybe it will be possible to put canada back together after all huh that from bonnie thanks for sharing bonnie you can share your positive reflections with us anytime and don't forget kubienergy.ca is where you can learn more about what our good friends are doing to help canadians pursue their sustainable energy goals coming up on the show tomorrow updates on these international developments we've talked about and for dads to be Like me, we're going to talk to the first male doula in Western Canada. That's Ali Khan-Sumar is going to join us for a conversation on how to embrace your role. In the meantime, make it a great Tuesday. Thanks for liking and subscribing to what we're doing, and we'll talk to you soon.
2: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles, technical producer, Sam Brooks, Managing Director Josh Dunford, Account Coordinator Tanya Franklin, Merchandise Operations Katie Cook Chivers, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Metis settlements and the Metis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out RyanJesperson.com.